If you've ever seen ads for Breaking Bad, the old Volkswagen Turbonium commercials, or even Denny's Restaurant with its periodic table of condiments, you'll have a passing familiarity with the periodic table of the elements. What is a somewhat fetishistic infographic in pop culture actually has a profound history as a key breakthrough in humanity understanding the very structure of reality. The Dilettante, a Ferrochrome podcast. If you've ever sat in a high school science class, you've probably seen a large poster at the back of the room called the Periodic Table. On first glance, it's a somewhat puzzling infographic which lists all the known elements, and some not known, but we'll get to those later, with strange numbers and letters assigned to them. Some of the letters seem straightforward, such as H for hydrogen or O for oxygen. But then there are more counterintuitive examples, such as FE for iron and W for tungsten. The numbers top and bottom of each element's label are listed as atomic number, atomic weight, and sometimes a tiny list of numbers on the right which seem to make no sense at all. Some of the element names don't exactly roll off the tongue either, with titles such as Lanthanum and Roentgenium. One can see why it's been co-opted by graphic designers for print and television ads. It looks sort of cool, with its grid of upper and lower case sans-serif fonts, and carries the same weight of mysterious authority as registration numbers on a jet aircraft. But aside from decorating classrooms and being used as source material by ad agencies, what's the periodic table actually do? And more to the point, who thought it up? Like anything with a long history, it's complicated. For centuries, civilization tried to make sense of the elements of our existence by breaking matter down into subgroups. The classical elements of earth, water, air, fire, and sometimes ether were pre-scientific efforts to divine the nature of matter and its constituent parts. While centuries of history ultimately demonstrated these models not to be true, it shows the first efforts at trying to ordinate and make sense of the substances comprising our universe. By the 17th century, this qualitative view of matter had been supplanted with something more empirical and quantitative, thanks to French scientist Antoine Lavoisier. He is credited with discovering sulfur was an irreducible element predicting the existence of silicon, and helping to revise how chemicals were named. As well as being a scientist, Lavoisier was unfortunately an aristocrat, and thus his reward for these accomplishments was being beheaded during the French Revolution. Roll ahead to the 19th century to Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev, who after years of research on February 17, 1869, ceases on the idea of ordering the elements by their atomic weight in tabular form by horizontal rows or periods. By aligning elements in columns that have similar chemical properties, he is able to formulate the periodic law, which states when elements are arranged by their atomic mass, certain properties will tend to reoccur. The chemist Lothar Meyer also came up with the same conclusion, published coincidentally, using instead increasing atomic volume as the metric for his table. 
What made Mendeley's version the winner between the two were the ingenious gaps he left in the table for elements not yet discovered. He even went as far as predicting the atomic weights and properties of these unknown elements, all based on the periodic law. He would later be validated with this approach when those gap elements such as gallium and germanium were later discovered, along with properties he expected, the last of these projected gaps being the discovery of francium in 1939. The next major revision would be in 1945 by American scientist Glenn Seaborg, who, benefiting from the past discoveries of atomic nuclei and electrons, as well as developments in quantum mechanics. It was with quantum mechanics that it was suggested each period in the table corresponded to a certain type of electron cloud orbiting the nucleus, termed a quantum shell. Some elements with larger atomic numbers, reflecting the greater number of protons in the atom's nucleus, will have correspondingly more quantum shells of electrons layered on top of one another, and termed subshells. As elements were discovered that had more of these subshells, the periods of the table became longer. As accurate as the periodic table seemed in 1945, it still posed a few contradictions which troubled Glenn Seaborg. Elements referred to as the actinide series, because they began with the element actinium, seemed to behave as if they had what was termed a 5F electron shell, which was inconsistent with their placement between elements number 88 and 104. He proposed creating a callout graphic which would place these elements on their own line below the rest of the table. While there had been a precedent for calling out a line of elements that seemed to break the orderliness of the table, with the rare earth or lanthanide series between elements 56 and 72, Glenn Seaborg's colleagues urged him not to publish his theory of the actinide group as it could discredit his standing in the chemistry community. Reasoning he didn't have much of a career to ruin, he published his theory anyway. It worked and he would be awarded the Nobel Prize for his discovery in 1951. It's commonly held that all the natural elements have been discovered, ending with French physicist Marguerite Perry's 1939 discovery of element 87, which she named francium. By natural, we're referring to those not needing a laboratory or a particle accelerator to synthesize. And while new elements are still being added to the periodic table today, they often only exist for nanoseconds in amounts as minute as an atom, their all-too-brief existence confirmed by computer-controlled silicon detectors. There are often placeholder names such as ununceptium, which is Latin for 117, and ununoctium, which is Latin for, you guessed it, 118. When a new element is discovered by synthesis, it can get a little heated as to what the name of the new element will be. A classic case of this is the transfermium wars. No, I'm not making this up. During the naming of elements 104 to 106, especially contentious was the naming of 106 by two groups, Russian and American, laying claim to discovery in 1974. The Russians claimed discovery and thus naming rights. The Americans did also, and wanted to name it after the aforementioned Glenn T. Seaborg, 
who would have been the first person to have an element named after him while still alive. The rights to discovery and thus the naming of element 106 grew contentious, and the Transfermium War was not settled until governing body IUPAC, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, ruled in favor of the Americans, and Seaborgian was born. Who would have thought chemists would react so strongly? When you next see the periodic table, either in a classroom lab, as set decoration in a movie, or as eye candy in an ad campaign, remember, it came by its street cred honestly, and sometimes dramatically, in the rough and tumble world of element classification, naming, and organization. The Dilettante, part of the Fairchrome Podcast Network.